The big question is this, how do we use the seven step blueprint to help you or people you influence become more physically healthy than 98% of the people you know and in your community? That's what today's episode is all about. Let's get stuck into it straight away. Today's episode of the new science of physical health. Hi everybody, welcome back to today's episode of the Daily Drop. And we're still into this little mini, mini series, if you like, how to trick your brain into doing hard things. Because I recognize that being consistent with physical activity is not easy. We went through the first th- the first um, little trick that you can use um, yesterday. Let's move on to the next one today. Here's a question for you that's in the title. Do you need help to trick your brain to get motivated for physical activity? And if you are one of those people or you know people like that, then you need to use something called the Keystone Habit Framework. All right, so here's what that is. You need to begin to discover for yourself how to focus on what is the best use of your time, whether you're an adult in your 20s, a teenager in your your, um, mid-teenage years, a young child like my son who's only 11, soon to be 12, um, whether you're an adult like me who's 55 or somewhere in between or above. What's the fo- what do you need to focus on to make the best use of time? A keystone habit, then that framework, is one where you use your time to create a ripple effect into other areas of your life. You create a cascade of impacting more than one area when you're only doing one thing with your time. So everyone's only got 24 hours in a day. Some people have understood and learned through their environment the keystone habit framework, one that creates a ripple effect into other areas of your life. So I'll give you the the keystone habit framework that I used with physical activity that helps trick my brain into it. I have taken up the use of our some clinically validated health software in partnership with the um, company that has made that available to me in a way where we're doing some work together, which I'm really excited about, but I won't go into that now. So the keystone habit that I have is to use our clinically validated health software to track improvements in my physical health status every day over a rolling seven days. Now, just to clarify what clinically validated health software is, Go and use any of the software that's available, whether it's your Apple Watch, which I've got one, or whether you use a Fitbit, which we I think I've given my wife a Fitbit at one stage, or whether you use a Garmin, a Polar, or any of those types of things. The com- I, I want to talk about the common person, not the person who has been an athlete and knows how to use those devices. I'm talking about the person who's never delved into the use of a smartwatch to track the impact of physical activity. When those types of people, and that's the overwhelming majority of people, by the way, there's about, what did I read the other day? I think there is something in the vicinity of 113 million smartwatches will be sold worldwide this year. That is just astronomical. That's this year alone across the planet. Many of those people, they will be tracking things like steps, calories burned, how many physical activity sessions they did over the last seven days, um, how much distance they've covered, uh, you know, what type of activity they've done, particularly things like steps and calories. Those two things are really big. I'll just put this out there so you understand it, the difference. 
almost all purported or reported health software applications that you can get on your phone are not clinically validated. That means that the data that they have is not backed by medical science and research study after study after study, and the reporting of it doesn't tell you the impact of the physical activity you just did on your health outcomes. So I'll explain that more in another detail. In fact, the mini-series that we have coming out when it gets released called The Thomas Edison of Health Technology in the 2020s, I go into that in depth. Unless a health software is clinically validated and it converts data into health impact, then it's it's pretty much a waste of time because I can do 4,000 steps, you can do 15,000 steps, and I get more health adaptations and drive down my risk of the leading cause of sickness and death, cardiovascular disease, more than you. You do 15,000 steps a day, and I only do 4,000 steps a day. How's that possible? Go into the series when it comes out, the Thomas Edison of health technology in the 2020s, and I deep dive into it there. It's not for the daily drop. So my keystone habit is to use this clinically validated health software every day over a rolling seven days. I track the impact of health adaptations that lower my risk from cardiovascular disease and cancer. How do I know that? Because the data from the health software is clinically validated. It means that it's been measured, It's the, the data has been measured against, does it actually drive down my risk in real for in real life? It's not just reporting steps, which, what does that mean? Nothing. It doesn't actually mean anything because it doesn't talk about health adaptations where the software that I use does. So for example, endothelial dysfunction. The skin on the inside of your artery or all arteries, you have enough blood vessels, by the way, to wrap around the earth once. That just blows my mind. There's a skin on the inside of every single blood vessel called endothelial tissue. As you move from 15 years of age to 20 years of age to 20 to 25, 25 to 30, 35 to 40, 45 to 40 to 45, and so on, that skin becomes less elastic, the endothelial tissue. That causes a whole host of problems depending on how how fast it accelerates into that situation. Every time I use the correct dose of physical activity over a rolling seven days by using the health software to track, it's my keystone habit, I know that I'm releasing nitric oxide into the blood vessels because it's an automatic response. That keeps my endothelial tissue more flexible. That is absolutely critical because that will trigger things like a a cardiologist score, meaning if you go to a cardiologist, they give you this test, that will trigger me to have more elastic blood vessels and it improves a cardiology biometric called my pulse wave velocity. Really simply, once again, in that mini-series, the Thomas Edison of health technology in the 2020s, I go into pulse wave velocity in a lot more detail. But the more elastic my arteries are, as I age, I'm 55, If you're not there yet, God willing, you will get there. But at 55, my arteries are very elastic because I have the correct dose of exercise to release enough nitric oxide to improve the flexibility of my arteries. That score is called your pulse wave velocity. If you ever have the need to go and visit a cardiologist, they'll measure that. So I went there for preventative measures. So if you have an improved pulse wave velocity, it drives down your risk of having a stroke, one of the biggest killers in the world, a coronary occlusion, that means um, a blockage of a blood vessel, say, at the heart, and, and the third thing called end-stage organ failure. 
inside my course, but this really cool video where I show a kidney and um, inside that inside that animation of the kidney, I show the small what are called arterioles that get damaged from having a poor pulse wave velocity from a lack of physical activity and not nitric, enough nitric oxide. So inelastic, so arteries, blood vessels that are not very elastic. End-stage organ failure, Dr. Eduardo Sanchez, Chief Medical Officer Prevention for Prevention from the American Heart Association. He's from Dallas, Texas. He told me in my interview with him, end-stage organ failure, damage to something like the kidneys, for example, because you have way back when you had a problem with your endothelial function from not enough nitric oxide, end-stage organ failure happens years later. He says his exact words, nasty, nasty, nasty disease that you can't recover from, by the way. So what happens is I use that keystone habit to change the level of nitric oxide, improve my endothelial function of my endothelial tissue so I have less dysfunction, improves the elasticity of my arteries, so I have this great pulse wave velocity score, drives down the risk of a coronary occlusion, blockage of the blood vessel of the heart, a stroke or end-stage organ failure. That's just three things, by the way, just three things. In, re- in you know, That's in practical terms. I also happen to eat a lot better because I'm more physically um, active, so I decide to eat better because the, the two have a, um, a, a pretty much a linear correlation in most cases. I sleep much better and I have less anxiety. And that's really important because that whole mental health thing, we'll do some stuff on that with a doctor of um, psychiatry at some stage um, on the anxiety topic. But that is the keystone habit that I use. If you're going to be able to trick your brain into doing hard things, particularly with physical activity, you need to come up with a keystone habit. My recommendation is you get into my book, you get into my courses, we bundle that up and give you the health software with that. And then you start using the same one that I use. That's it, everybody. Thanks for joining me at this episode of The Daily Drop. We'll have something else tomorrow on how to trick your brain into doing hard things, particularly as it relates to physical activity. Bye for now.